0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Our passage this this morning is chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. And up here it says next week it's going to be chapter 1, 8 through 17. So uh, Pastor Kyle will be doing that uh, next Sunday. Oh, I, want to, I want to give you a little background information on the Roman religion and so it can help us understand the, the passage today. So the Roman religion was very similar to that of the Greeks. Like the Greeks, the, the Romans worshipped a lot of gods and goddesses. The chief of the gods was Jupiter. Other gods include Minerva, goddess of wisdom and learning, Mars, god of war, Venus, god of love, Ceres, goddess of the earth, and Pluto, god of the underworld. Roman religion placed great emphasis on proper rituals. It was important to do things right. Most priests were not professional, full-time religious practitioners. They were leading people in their community, like we had magistrates and senators. Unlike Greek religion, Roman religion had a strong moral dimension. This was to do with the behaving in an honest and dignified way towards others keeping oaths and agreements on the shake of a hand, and displaying courage when misfortune struck. The Romans were very superstitious, always looking for good or bad omens before acting on a course of action. Like the Greeks, they consulted priests or priestesses at certain shrines who, in a trance, they spoke from the gods. One innovation that the emperors introduced was their own cult called Emperor Worship. To what extent this was a real religion, rather than an act show of loyalty is difficult to say. In most Roman times, a temple to the Roman, to the emperor, would be among the larger buildings. As with the Greek religion, Roman religion was not aimed at meeting private spiritual needs. It was more of a public thing. As time went by, new religions and cults became popular in the Roman world. The cult of Orpheus from Greece, the cult of the Egyptian goddess Isis, and later Christianity. Despite or because of often fierce persecution, Christianity spread around the empire, and by the 3rd century, Christians probably made up a sizable part of the population. It was the conversion to Christianity of the emperor, Constantine, and the favor bestowed on the Christian church by seceding emperors that turned it into the most popular religion in the empire. In the 380s, it was made the official religion of the empire a development which would have a huge impact on the future of Europe. And that's just a little bit on the, I'm sure you could come up with a whole lot more. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Romans 1, 8 through 15, and then we'll take a few minutes to to read the passage to yourselves, and the table leader will... Start the discussion when Romans one eight through fifteen. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because of your faith is because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing, ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. I have often attended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also. Who I am wrong. If you go ahead, and you can go ahead and read to yourselves. And and then the uh, table. I thought there was a very good discussion at our table this morning. I almost probably don't need to preach up here this morning because everybody was saying everything I didn't think I'm going to say. But anyway, I, did, I didn't really have a title for it, but uh, listening to the discussion at the table, I kept hearing that this is what we should be, what we should not be, and all that. And so I'm, I'm kind of titling this as what every Christian should be. And. To start out, every Christian should be thankful. That comes from verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. As Paul begins writing to the Romans about his motives, he tells them that he is thankful for them because their faith was known and mentioned throughout the whole world which was, the whole world back then was the Roman Empire. Rome was the capital city of the empire and that gave the church there a huge opportunity to make the gospel known. Rome was the center of world commerce at that time and everything they did would have been heard about because you had all these people coming in from all different parts of the empire and They would go back and talk about it. Paul didn't start the church in Rome. But everywhere Paul traveled, the people were talking about those Roman believers. Paul could have been jealous, you know, just because he didn't start it or whatever. You know, somebody else started it. But Paul was thankful. He wasn't jealous at all. He could praise the Lord whether it was part of his ministry or not. All of us could learn a lesson from this. God wants all his ch- children to be thankful people. <clears throat> a thankful spirit is the Lord's will for every single one of us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We would all do well to learn to be more thankful for the Lord's blessings in our lives. There are many Christians that are not very thankful. So how do we develop a thankful spirit? The real answer lies in in placing Jesus Christ at the center of all we do. If we make him our sufficiency, then we will always be satisfied. If it takes material or physical blessings to make us thankful, then we're likely to be dissatisfied and defeated. Paul says in Philippians four ten through 13, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now that at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be, how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. My wife and I had this plaque on the wall at home. It says, What if you woke up today with only what you thank God for yesterday? Think about that. All the blessings that we have possibly missed because we didn't, Thank the Lord for what he's done, what he's doing. And that's what I think about every time I see it. I think that every Christian and every church should have the same testimony that the Roman Christians had. These people were known everywhere for their solid faith and lifestyles. The same should be true of Hope Fellowship and every person as well. Whether we are at home, on the job, at Walmart, or anywhere, wherever, there should be that testimony that marks us as belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every Christian should be committed and proud. Verse 9 says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I miss you always in my prayers Paul tells the Romans that he is totally committed to the Lord every word he spoke everything he wrote everything, everywhere he went Paul was a living witness to total surrender this explains the reason of Paul's great success when nothing else matters in your life but what matters to the Lord the Lord's work will get done I don't know where this message finds you, but this is an area where I need work. I don't do everything like I'm supposed to do, <laughs> and this whole sermon has brought a lot of conviction on me. The word serve here is the same word that is translated worship in other parts of the New Testament. There is no greater form of worship that can be rendered to the Lord than pure heartfelt service and devotion to the Lord. Is your life committed? It should be. Romans 12:1 and 2 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The Apostle Paul's ministry was primarily that of preaching the gospel, but he had a secondary ministry also, that was just as important as preaching the gospel. Paul had a ministry of prayer. He made prayer a priority, and the Roman believers were never taken off Paul's prayer list. There is no record of what he prayed for on their behalf, but we can probably find the answer to that question in the prayers he prayed for other believers, as in Philippians one nine through eleven. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And in Colossians 1, through 9-11. And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a matter worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul was a man of prayer. His praying wasn't selfish, but it was always spiritual. And it was on the behalf of others instead of himself. What a lesson for the church. How much of our praying self is selfish in nature. Lord, help me. Lord, bless me and my family. Lord, meet my needs. These and other prayers like them are real examples of how we are guilty of praying most of the time. I think God wants his children to be under a prayer burden for others. Galatians 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 15 says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. God would have you and me involved in a prayer ministry that touches the lives of others. As Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance and making supplication for all the saints. And every Christian should be surrendered. Verse 10, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may know at last success is coming to you. Paul's desire was to travel to Rome, and Paul was willing to surrender his will to the will of the Lord. The will of God includes everything that God desires and wishes to happen in heaven and on earth. The Greek word for will is, I probably mispronounced this, but it's T H E L M A Thelma, is the way I would say it. The word means what one wishes or has determined will will happen. That is, we are to want God to have His wish, His will, His and plan, His plans fulfilled. That is, our lives and plans should agree with His. I find this illustration of God's will on a site called NeverThirsty.org. It says, "When when some people think about the will of God, they fear that God has decided every little detail of their life. But this is not true. He has not already decided everything in your life. But God does control many aspects of your li- of our lives. He gives us a lot of freedom, but he has also constrained us. God's will is like a road. He does not care if you walk on the right side, the left side, or down the middle. He does not care if you jump, skip, jog, or walk fast down the road. He does not care if you sing or if you're silent. But he does care if you lead the road. He wants you to always stay on the road. Each of us has a different road to travel. The road is God's will for your life. The road will turn and twist, but his plan will be accomplished. Being surrendered surrendered is the Lord's will for every question. He wants us to be willing to place his will ahead of our own. The fact is that the Lord will come into your life and will change your agenda. Imagine what the Lord could do with a church filled with people who were totally sold out to the will of God ahead of everything else. Every Christian should be usable and humble. Verse 11 and 12 says, For I long to see you, that I may impact to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may mutually be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. As Paul continues to reveal his heart to the Roman Christians, he tells them why he wishes to come to Rome. He wanted to share with them the gifts that God had given him it is as if Paul is telling the Romans, God blessed me with some special things. Now I want to come to Rome and share them with you so that you might grow in the things of the Lord. Paul isn't talking about actual gifts of the Spirit because they are given only by the Spirit. And he is not talking about the gift of salvation that can only come from, by faith in Jesus. What Paul is saying is that he's willing to come to them to be used of the Lord as the Lord sees fit. It is as if Paul is willing to be used by the Lord in any fashion if it will just help the Romans. Paul isn't saying that he wants to go there and take over or take charge. He just wants to go to Rome and be used of the Lord to be a blessing to someone. Not only does Paul desire to be a blessing to the Roman Christians, but he knows that there will be a blessing to him as well. It's a shame when people think they have arrived and that they cannot be helped by others who aren't as mature in the Lord or as educated or as experienced as they are. All of us need to be reminded often that we have plenty of growing to do. Paul felt this when he wrote to the Philippians church in, in Philippians three, twelve through fourteen, not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He knew that he had not attained perfection and that he needed those around him to get the work done. To everyone who thinks they are standing on their own, you're not. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Before the great missionary to India, William Carey boarded the ship to sail. He was asked by some close friends if this was what he really wanted to do. His reply shows the humility of his heart. Carrie said, I will go down into the pit itself if if you will hold the rope. And I confess to everyone this morning, I need you and everybody else to be able to do what God has called me to do. I need your prayers. I need your support to be able to serve the Lord in a way that the Lord expects me to serve Him. Every Christian should be fruitful. Verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul reminds them that he is interested in glorifying the Lord. He has been used of the Lord to bear fruit all over the known world. Paul says that he would like to travel to Rome so that he can get some fruit there also. His desire is, his desire is not to build himself, but to glorify the Lord. Paul's past plans to visit them have been hindered. He does not say what com- commercial Circumstances had hindered him. Apostleship did not mean that an individual was directly guided by God in every personal decision, not even to where or to whom he would preach. Sometimes Paul and other preachers made plans to preach in certain places, but God would reveal that he wanted them to preach somewhere else. Romans 8, 26, Said likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So Holy Spirit may have changed Paul's plans to visit Rome, having given reasons why he wanted to visit them in verses 11 and 12. Paul adds another reason. He wanted to be able to produce some fruit among the Romans as he had among the other Gentiles. His work emphasized preaching among the Gentiles. He had converted Gentiles in many places. The fruit here most likely refers to making converts while he was in Rome. Every Christian should be obligated Verse 14, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. And we were talking about this at the table. Some translations use the word debt, which is obligation is a Greek form of debt. As Paul wrote to the Roman Christians, he felt a deep debt or obligation To those who needed to hear the gospel message. This debt, Paul felt, is seen in every area of his ministry. To the lost, Paul had this to say in Romans 10:1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul was a man who was driven. How else could he endure the things he had endured? for the cause of Christ. Some of the things he endured for the cause of Christ are in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less that's one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. And danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me or my anxiety for all the churches. Why did Paul do these things? Because he felt that he was a debtor. or He was obligated to every lost person in the world. He felt a great need to share the gospel message with them. You and I are indebted as well. We are indebted to God for the gift of salvation we were given was a perfectly free gift. We are indebted to those who are perishing around us. We hold in our hands the answer to the problem of sin (coughs) for them. We hold in our hands the remedy for the disease that is killing them. Every believer in this room needs to remember that we owe a debt to every person who lives around us. Mark sixteen fifteen, And he said to them, G-, And he is Jesus. Go into all the world and play, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Paul was in debt, but not call, because of what people had done for him, Many debts are done because someone did something for us and we owe them. Paul considered himself in debt, but it was not because the people to whom he wanted to preach had done anything good for him. In fact, some had opposed and even persecuted him. We should not think that the only people we are obligated to teach are people who have done good for us. Like Paul, we are obligated even to people who have harmed and opposed us. Paul does not explain, explain why he's indebted to preach, but note these passages, Romans 13:8 through10: "We owe it to men to love our neighbor and so fulfill the law. We should even love our enemies, as in Matthew 5:44. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. We ought to love one another because God loved us and gave his son for us. Until we have the kind of love that does what people need, even when they have mistreated us, we don't have the kind of love God had. We should have this love because God first loved us. We ought to love God because of what he did for us. But God says pay our debt to him by showing love to others. And one of the greatest things we can do for others is to teach them the truth. Some medical students get loans from school to pay it back by giving medical care and underprivileged regions. So, a debt may be transferred from one who has done something for us to one who has done nothing. So, you and I owe this debt of love to others as surely as Paul did. Christ died for us as he did for Paul. We are obligated to help others. Men need the gospel, and we are obligated to give it. How do we pay this debt? The only way is for us to tell the world about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul was indebted to teach all people, Greek and barbarian, wise and unwise. Barbarians were any people who did not know the Greek language or culture. Everyone was Greek or barbarian, wise or unwise. And we still have those today. Paul was in debt to all people, not just to a certain class or a certain number. This does not mean that Paul had to personally teach everyone on earth. Paul could not say he was obligated to one kind, whether it was Greek or barbarian, uneducated or educated, nor could he say he had filled his quota. So he couldn't quit. We have an obligation to teach all people. Mark sixteen fifteen again, and 16 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jesus wants the gospel preached to every creature. We must, think, we must not think we are obligated to teach only certain kinds of people. Rich or middle class, but not the poor, or vice versa. Educated people, but not uneducated, or vice versa. Young, but not old, or vice versa. Men, but not women, or vice versa. Or Americans, but not other nationalities. We are debtors to all men. Our obligation ends only when only when every person on on earth reaches the point he needs no more teaching. And that will never happen. So we are always obligated to teach. Paul was a debtor to preach the gospel and so were we. Every Christian should be eager. Somebody said that at the table while we're having a discussion. Verse 15 So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Being ready to preach requires willingness to preach. Paul was willing to do as much as he was able. Some people have debts and are able to pay, but they're not ready because they're not willing to pay. God requires us to be willing to use our ability in teaching and to develop new ability as we mature. Being ready to preach requires ability to preach. Some people are in debt but are not ready to pay because they are not able to. Paul was ready to preach to the fullest extent of his ability. God requires people to do only what they are able to do. In some aspects of the service of God, ability may vary from person to person. In Matthew 25, the one-talent man had less ability than the other two servants. But he was not condemned for having less ability. He was condemned for not using the ability he had. And so verse 26 says that he was wicked and lazy. Because he didn't do that. 2 Timothy Timothy 2, 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of my many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. All faithful men will be able to teach others. We may have little ability at first and may never have as much ability as some people. And I got, I got to say that, you know, I, I do have ability to do this and to do other things in church. But there's others that have a lot more ability than I. Have. But all of us can develop some ability in teaching. And God expects us to do so. People excuse themselves from obeying God by saying, I can't teach a class. I'm not able to go visiting. Or I don't have the time. I don't know how. Many of these people could if they were willing. But they're not willing. Others may be doing a lot. But they have so much ability, they could be doing more. But instead they say, I'm not They say, I'm already doing more than most people. So they refuse to do more when they can do more. So be careful with excuses. Remember, God requires us to do as much as is in us. He knows our real ability and will judge us according to what we really can do. Not according to what we say we can do. Second Corinthians 8:12 says if there is a willing mind, a person is accepted on the basis of what he has, not on the basis of what he does not have. <clears throat> Excuse me. We must be willing to do whatever we're able to do. Paul said, "I'm ready to preach the gospel. What about you and me? Are we ready to pay the debt? May I say that every Christian should be eager about serving the Lord. Isn't it true that we often lack excitement when it comes to the Lord's work? We really get into the things of the flesh that we like, whether whether it be hunting, fishing, racing, football, or anything else you can name. But when it comes to witnessing, where are the people who are lining up to go into the world and, and share the gospel? Where are those who get excited when it gets close to church time? Where are those who would rather miss out on anything than they had to miss out on something God is doing? We need believers in these days who are excited about the things of God. That's that's pretty much all I have for today. So... Jesus, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body. Do this and remember, eat this in remembrance of me. And he also picked up the wine, glass of wine. He said, drink this. This is my blood, and you come in remembrance of me. If you're a believer in the Jesus Christ and power of him, I invite you to come up and take the Lord's supper.